Good morning. morning. I'd like to invite you this morning to turn to Romans chapter 1. And uh, I want to take advantage of every opportunity I have to just say thank you for 34 years of partnership. And it's wonderful to come and see many new faces. And it's wonderful to come and see so many children. And that's an encouragement. Um, as you turn to Romans chapter 1, we're going to consider Romans 1, 1 this morning. Very simple verse of scripture, very straightforward. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Father, we pause in dependence on you and ask you to bless the delivery of your word this morning. Lord, we gather as a church, and we need to, we need to hear from you. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to quiet in our hearts. We pray that you would find us with tender hearts, pliable hearts, willing hearts. And we pray that the Spirit of God would have every freedom to move in our midst this morning and to speak to us through Scripture. And we pray that you would be honored by our response today and will give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Gospel Mission of South America is on the verge of celebrating 100 years. The mission was founded in 1923 by a man named William Strong Sr. And during uh, nearly 70 years of our history... There was a gentleman by the name of George Black. Probably no one here has heard of George Black, but probably some of you have heard of Mark Breeden. Anybody heard of Mark Breeden? Oh my goodness, only a couple of you. Uh, Mark Breeden was part of New Brunswick Bible Institute. He was a contemporary and dear friend to George Black. And in fact, uh, people like uh, Jim and Debbie Carter and Curtis and Diane Stewart they were originally contacted by George Black at New Brunswick Bible Institute. And we knew George Black very affectionately as Uncle George. And Uncle George was 29 years of age when he was saved. And he wrote this word of testimony. He says, in 1936, I began to read God's word, starting with St. John. I soon came under strong conviction of sin as my life at that time was dishonoring to God. Dishonoring to my parents and dishonoring to myself. The Holy Spirit applied the word to my heart and conscience. And in the summer of 36, I gratefully accepted as my personal Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That fall at a young people's missionary rally, my Savior became my Lord and I dedicated my life to him and volunteered to go where he would send me. Desiring to witness to others of the joy I had found in Christ and yet not knowing how, I was led to take a correspondence course in personal evangelism in the Philadelphia School of the Bible. This resulted in a desire for further study of God's Word. And in 1937, I enrolled in the PSOB Day School. Through a friend, I heard of God's wonderful working in the land of Chile and of the open door there for preaching the gospel, and I became intensely interested and made application to Soldiers and Gospel Mission of South America. That was our previous name. 
And step by step, the Lord led until the last paper was approved. And he who ruleth the nations overruled and made it possible for me to preach the gospel in Chile. Faithful is he that calleth you who will also do it. First Thessalonians 5.24, end of quote. On November 30th, 1940, Uncle George, at the age of 33, set sail for Chile to begin what would ultimately be 69 years of missionary service. You do the math, he went out at, at, at 33 years of age. He was 102 years old when he went home to be with the Lord in the country of Chile, still serving as a missionary. Within two years of Uncle George's arrival in Chile, a young lady arrived. Her name was Letty Pudney. We knew her as Aunt Letty, and she was from British Columbia. And on December 31st, skipping a lot of detail, 1943, Uncle George and Aunt Letty were married at GMSA headquarters in Temuco, Chile. But eight months later, Mrs. Black fell ill with spinal meningitis. These were war years. And even though we can't imagine what activity Chile had in World War II, penicillin was guarded for soldiers, and Mrs. Black was not able to get the treatment that she desperately needed for meningitis. And so her auditory nerves and, uh, were damaged by high fever, and she was left severely deaf for the rest of her life, and in addition to that, lost most of her balance. And they wrote an update in those years, and Uncle George said these words. He said, Letty has also made real progress. The buzzing in the head still continues, some days worse than others. She can hear voices of those carrying on conversation around the table, but cannot distinguish any words unless spoken by the person sitting close to her left. And he said these words, our testimony is that God is faithful we know that the promise he gave of perfecting that which concerneth us still holds true. And we have no doubt but that God will heal completely in his own time. Even better than the healing of the body is the spiritual blessing which the Lord has given so that we can praise him in the midst of difficulty. Meningitis teaches you to live at a day at a, day at a time. And he said these words, We belong to the company of the hallelujah hearts. Praise the Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. End of quote. Well, again, Mrs. Black fell ill, this time with diphtheria. And she again fought a long battle to regain her strength. Mr. Black wrote once these words. He said, I think Letty's most difficult trial was the desire to be in the thick of things for Christ and not to be able to be there because of deafness and lack of balance. And he wrote that despite her illness, she always carried her share of the work, always thought of others, maintained a consistent vital relation with Jesus Christ. She was the ideal missionary wife. Mr. and Mrs. Black never could have children, and they served the Lord faithfully all these years. And their belief that God would heal Aunt Letty completely in his time came true on May 14, 1998, when after 55 years of missionary service, Aunt Letty was promoted to heaven. She was 92 years old. Mr. Black continued on. 
In fact, he carried on for another 10 years until the Lord called him home to heaven in late 2009. And beloved, after 23 years as general director, he spent, well, first he spent many years on the mission field, then 23 years as general director, and then he spent another 30 years on the mission field, 20 of those with Aunt Letty by his side, and together they did church planting, and two churches are the fruit of their second missionary career, you might call it. Two churches that continue to this day that were born out of a career that didn't begin till he was 72 years old and, and retired because he retired at 70. Two years later, he said, I can't take it anymore. I'm going back to the mission field. And there he was for 30 more years. Well, why do we tell this story this morning? It's a unique story. That's not going to be the experience of every missionary. But let me say that these servants of God, Uncle George and Aunt Letty, and many others that I could name, many other stories that I could tell just from the history of Gospel Mission of South America, these servants of God were steadfast and unmovable. By the grace of God, they were always abounding in the work of the Lord. But it wasn't because of tenacity. It wasn't because of stamina. It was because of personal enslavement to Christ. It was because of the abiding conviction of God's call on their life. It was because of an unwavering separation to the gospel. And these are the things that the Apostle Paul spoke of in that single verse of scripture that we read, Romans 1.1. And these are the reasons that Paul would say in Romans 1.14 and 15, I am debtor, I am ready to preach the gospel. It's why he would say in 1 Corinthians 9.16, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. It's why he would say in 2 Corinthians 12.15, and I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. It's why he could say in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. In Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. It's why he would say in 2 Timothy 4, chapter 7, uh, chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 4. I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Because of personal enslavement to Christ. Because of the abiding conviction of God's call. Because of unwavering separation to the gospel of Christ. This morning I'd like to consider with you. The selfless life of a divinely empowered servant. That's what Romans 1.1 is all about. And there's three things that I'd like to say about the selfless life of a divinely empowered servant. And number one is he submitted to the Savior. Such a basic concept in the life of a believer. He submitted to the Savior. The Apostle Paul introduced himself first not as an apostle but as a servant of Jesus Christ. And the word servant literally means to be a bond slave. It speaks of someone who is utterly surrendered to the authority of another. And in the case of the Apostle Paul, he was utterly, totally surrendered to the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. It means that he was completely yielded for full duty. The word emphasizes subservience. It emphasizes insignificance rather than honor. 
And according to Wiest, it was the most abject, servile term used by the Greeks to denote a slave. Someone has said that a slave was one bound to his master in cords so strong that only death could break them. It was one who served his master to the total disregard of his own interests, to the total disregard of his own will. In fact, his will was swallowed in the will of his master. And that, that's how the Apostle Paul describes himself. Later on in the book of Romans, he would ask to be considered a minister of Christ. And the word minister literally means under rower. It refers to those slaves that were confined to the belly of a ship and did all of the rowing below sea level. They were considered the lowest of the lowest of the slaves. And the Apostle Paul said, I want to be considered an under rower for the Lord Jesus Christ. He never sought recognition. He never sought for acclaim. He wasn't looking for notoriety. He never jockeyed for position. He never expected honor. He never sought after privilege. He never felt he was more important than anyone else. His life was simply swallowed in the will of Christ. And he was content to be counted as the lowest of the lowest slaves. Beloved, such enslavement shouldn't be unique. It should be basic to the Christian life. Basic to the Christian life. Utter surrender to his authority and to his lordship is unnegotiable if we'll face the rigors of ministry and persevere with conviction and with joy, like Uncle Letty and George and Uncle George, Aunt Letty and Uncle George so many years ago. You may remember in Acts chapter five when the apostles were brought before the Sanhedrin for preaching Christ and verse 40 through 42 tells us that when they had beaten them they commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go that speaks of the rigors of ministry and they departed from the presence of the council listen rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name that's the joy of serving Beloved, that's not courage and tenacity standing alone. That's the result of bond slavery. That's the result of utter surrender to the authority of Christ in their lives. That's the result of being completely yielded for duty. And despite the consequences, empowered to continue preaching Christ without pause. That was the testimony of the apostles. When Paul identified himself as a bond slave in Romans 1.1... Have you ever considered the fact that he had already been abundant in labors? 2 Corinthians 11. He had already suffered stripes above measure. He had already been imprisoned often, suffered death threats, been beaten by his own countrymen, beaten with rods, stoned, shipwrecked three times, traveled under dangerous circumstances. He had been in perils of waters and robbers and of his own countrymen. He had been in perils by the heathen in the city, in the wilderness. He had been in perils in the sea. He had been among false brethren. He had suffered physical weariness. He had suffered pain and watchings and hungerings and thirstings and fastings and coldness and nakedness. And on top of all of this, the ongoing concern for the churches. That's a selfless life. That's a selfless life. And yet he pressed on. What was behind such selfless enslavement to Christ? Well, the Old Testament equivalent is found in the book of Exodus, chapter 21, verses 5 and 6. And I think it answers that question. And it says, if a servant shall plainly say, listen to these words, 
I love my master. I love my master. My wife and my children. I will not go free. That was it right at the end of six years. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges. He shall bring him to the door or under the doorpost. And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl. And he shall serve him forever. Can I just isolate some words out of that text? I love my master. I will serve him forever. I love my master. I will serve him forever. You see, the question isn't so much if you'll be his bond slave. But do you love your master enough to serve him forever? No strings attached. No conditions. No as long as. We heard in Sunday school that the harvest is plenteous, but the labors are few. Do you know that someone said recently in a conference I was in, a colleague... Not all surrendered believers will be called to missions, or we might say to full-time ministry. But only the surrendered will heed his call. Have you let him take you to the doorpost yet? Have you been there with him? It's paradoxical, but in reality, it's the enslaved who are empowered. It's the enslaved who are empowered. And so the empowered servant, first of all, is submitted to the Savior. Secondly, he's selected to the ministry because Paul identified himself as one called to be an apostle. To be called is to be welcomed. It means to be invited or appointed. Uh, it doesn't mean to be condemned. <laughs> I think sometimes Christians have the idea that that poor man was condemned to be a missionary or that poor lady was condemned to waste their life on the mission field in some foreign land among a bunch of natives. Nothing could be further from the truth. Sadly, many parents think my kids can grow up to be anything they want to be as long as they don't go in the ministry because we want their life to count for something. And we want them to earn a good living. We want them to have a good career. How sad people think this way. But they really do. Sometimes people don't voice those thoughts. But they have those thoughts. But to be called means to be welcomed. Means to be invited, appointed to a specific mission or office. Now understand this. We live in a culture where we tell our children. You can choose to be anything you want to be. That doesn't mean that's right. Because the call of the Apostle Paul did not begin with Paul. It began with God. Beloved, the call to ministry does not begin with our choice. It begins with God's choice. And while it may be true that God has given us the ability to choose what we want to choose, it doesn't make that right. Paul's call was not of his own doing. Paul didn't manipulate his way into being an apostle. He didn't come forth to serve out of feelings of guilt. It wasn't something he selfishly pursued for power, wealth, or fame. Nor was he just a noble volunteer that, my, you got to admire Paul. 
What a noble volunteer. That was not the case of the Apostle Paul. Paul wasn't coerced by emotion. There wasn't an hour-long altar call that he finally gave in to and drug himself to the altar to say yes to. That was not the case of Paul. Paul was divinely called by Christ himself to be his apostle. To be one sent on a mission on behalf of another. And that other was the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the Lord told Ananias in Acts chapter 9 and verse 18 concerning the Apostle Paul. He said, he is a chosen vessel unto me. He said that before the Apostle Paul even knew that he was chosen. He's a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name. And as Paul testified to in Acts chapter 22, Ananias had said to him, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee. That was the first time the Apostle Paul heard about it. The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, for thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. And in 1 Timothy 1.12, Paul said it was Christ who had put him in the ministry. He had things very clear. He knew that his call did not begin with him. And beloved, the call to ministry never begins with the individual. It doesn't center around one's choice. It begins with God's choice concerning that individual. An old country pastor once said after listening to a cocky young preacher, Was you sent or did you just went? Missionary dropout is high. In fact, pastoral dropout is high. In fact, are you aware of how many empty pulpits there are in this country? Do you have any idea how the missionary force is shrinking around the world? How difficult recruitment has come? How few believe they're called into ministry, whether it be at home in the pulpits of America or whether it be around the world serving as missionaries and church planners? Are you aware of how things are changing, of how the force is shrinking? Dropout is high. You can't, you can't help but wonder if some went who weren't sent, but what about the ones who were sent and didn't went? Paul had the settled conviction of having been called of God. That's why he declared, woe is me if I preach not the gospel in 1 Corinthians 9.16. The apostles were uniquely called by Christ. Their apostleship and their calling were unique to them because of the criteria entailed. There is no apostolic succession because no one can fulfill that same unique criterion. Today we appropriately use the term Missionary, which excludes confusion with apostolic authority, but has the same basic meaning of being sent on a specific mission on behalf of another. So you might ask the very logical question, how is one called or appointed to ministry today? Well, I think the Bible is very clear. 1 Timothy 3.1 says, If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. And you'll notice that the word desire appears twice in that text. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. The first desire is a reaching after. 
It speaks of external action. It speaks of one who has initiative, not so much of motives, but of one who's always nearby, always willing to serve, always wanting to give a hand. And then the second desire is a strong inner selfless passion. It's one who pursues ministry because he's motivated by a deep, abiding, sincere desire to serve Christ. Beloved, evidence that this passion is from God. That one has truly been chosen and called of God can be objectively measured by comparing the life of that individual to the qualities of character and standards of conduct that are laid out in that very same passage and others. And so it's not so complicated. The apostles were uniquely called of Christ, Christ being physically present, them having witnessed personally his ministry and the church not yet born. But oh, how important the church of God is today because it falls on the church and it falls on its leaders to see in their midst the ones that God may be, that, that God may be selecting and to train them and mentor them and examine them and recognize them and verify the call of God on their lives to the body of Christ and send them forth considering the requirements of 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1 and Acts chapter 13 and so on and so forth. And so if Christ gives you a passion for full-time ministry, pursue it. But submit your passion and submit your character and submit your, your testimony to the scrutiny and the verification and the recognition of your church and its leaders. Be willing to be tried by serving under their leadership, to be tried by their correction and by their affirmation, their mentoring. Oh, how important these things are because so many abandon. So many abandon. In missions, many abandon after a year or two on the field. And that, after all the years of preparation, after all the years of deputation, after all the language training, after all the expense, sometimes tens of thousands of dollars to get there and to get set up. And in a year or two, it's all over. And you ask yourself, where's the abiding conviction of God's call in that? Where is it? Where's the selfless surrender to His will over mine? You see, the issue of a biblical call is so critical. It's a matter of God's choice. Not man's choice. Or not just man's choice. And it should be objectively confirmed. If you're not truly called, you can't expect to be empowered. The empowered gospel servant is not only submitted to the Savior and selected to the ministry, but finally, he's separated to the gospel. Paul identified himself as one separated under the gospel of God. To be separate means to define or be divided from. The word separate means to mark off boundaries, to set a limit. The Septuagint used the same word in Exodus 13:12 of the setting apart of every firstborn. Also in Numbers chapter 8, verses 11 through 14, of the Levites being set apart as the priestly tribe. In the New Testament, we find and we know the word Pharisee. And the word Pharisee 
comes from the very same Greek word that's translated separated in Romans 1.1. They consider themselves to be the great righteous separatists of their day. But there's another word in our English language that is born out of this Greek word, and it's the word horizon. And it's a very, very interesting nuance to our understanding of what it means to be separated. Barnhouse says it means to be taken from one horizon and placed in another so that your life revolves around a new and different axis. And so you think of it this way. You think of being at the summit of Mount Katahdin where you might be able to stand around and see in 360 degrees and behold the entire horizon that surrounds you. And then you think of how many have been on Mount Katahdin before? I've never been up there. Some of you have been at the summit of Mount Katahdin. Anybody here from the state of Washington this morning? Oh, good people. I'm from Washington State, so we have to talk after. I've always wanted to have reinforcements, and I rarely find them. I'm from Bremerton, Washington. Oh, Port Orchard. Port Orchard. Wow. Just, uh... So you... What? You're from Bremerton? This is incredible. This is like a revival. See, in Bremerton, you get the foot ferry, take it across the Port Orchard, and there's a Dairy Queen there. My dad used to take me there all the time. How about that? Well, we'll talk after. So in Washington State, we have a mountain called Mount Rainier. How many been up Mount Rainier? Anybody been up Mount Rainier? I've been up as far as Paradise. That's it. Okay. Mount Rainier is 14,000 feet. It's just, what would it be? Just a little over twice as high as Mount Katahdin. Well, if you could get on the summit of Mount Rainier, and believe me, you would not want to be there. Uh, and if you had the ability to turn in 360 degrees and behold the entire horizon, do you believe that you'd see the same horizon that you'd see from Mount Katahdin? Absolutely not. And that's the point of what it means to be separated. It means to be dedicated to only one thing. You can't see two horizons at the same time because you can't be at two places at one time. It's absolutely impossible. No one can do it. Colossians 3, 1 to 3 remind us that we are dead to the old life and have been risen to new life in Christ. And therefore, Paul says, <clears throat> excuse me, set your affections on things above, not on things on earth. You see, you're either dead in trespasses and sins or risen in Christ. Not both. You can never be both. That's a change of horizon. And therefore, 2 Timothy 2.4 says, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. You see, you can't have it both ways. You can only have one horizon. It's either one or the other. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 6.24. He said, No man can serve two masters. You can't have two horizons. You can't be dedicated to two things. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Jesus said you cannot serve God and mammon. It's either one or the other. You cannot have it both ways. And that's what Paul's talking about. He said, I am separated unto the gospel of God. That's my life. 
ministry is so easily hindered by the affairs of this life when would-be servants of God attempt to divide themselves between two horizons. You know, if you're all in, you want to be all in, because if you're not all in, you're probably not in at all. And just because someone's in full-time ministry, that doesn't mean they're truly separated under the gospel of God. Do you know that there are people that stay in the ministry because they don't know how to do anything else? They don't have any other, any skills secularly, so they just stick with it. Sometimes they're pastors that they run one church down to nothing, and then God miraculously calls them to another church. They run that one down to nothing, called again to another church, and they repeat the same thing. You see, they're not separated unto the gospel of God. There's way too much concern in ministry today about salary, about retirement income, about vacations, about vehicles, about college funds, about gadgets, about days off, about business on the side, and the list goes on and on and on. And it's not that these things are not important. It's not that they're not permissible. But when they become our horizon, the main thing that we seem to be focused on, they hinder us from what we claim we've been separated unto. One who's truly separated under the gospel of God will be separated from all that opposes or all that would lure him away from the ministry of the gospel. It seems way too obvious to say it, but if you're not fully separated under the gospel of God, you can't possibly expect to be empowered for gospel ministry. Three questions this morning. Do you love your master enough to be enslaved to him forever? No strings attached. No conditions. No as long as. Have you let him take you to the doorpost? Number two. Do you pursue ministry in practical ways? Are you motivated by a genuine inward passion to serve Christ? You may say, I, I do and I am. And I want to serve the Lord with my whole life. I want to be a pastor. I want to be a missionary. You may say, I, I want to serve God faithfully in my local church and want to work secularly. God needs all of them, wants all of them. He strategically places all of us where he wants us to be. No one is of lesser value because they're not a pastor or missionary or Sunday school teacher. That's not the truth. And that's certainly not what we're, we're talking about here. But if you sense the Lord's calling on your life and these things are true about you, are you willing to have your character and testimony brought under the scrutiny of those who lead your church in order to confirm God's call and be recommended to the church? Number three, does it cause you pause when you consider the implications of a life separated under the gospel of God? In other words, are you all in? It's so wonderful to see children and young people here. 
I'm so glad they were here, and I hope that they were able to glean something from what we've said this morning. But moms and dads, I wouldn't ask you, are you willing to let your kids be full-time pastors or missionaries? I wouldn't ask you that question. I would ask, are you willing to pray for them to be full-time pastors or missionaries if that's what the Lord wants? Do you you have that level of surrender? Are you willing to say, Lord, these are my children. I want to raise them for you. I don't know if you'll use them in full-time ministry, but if that's your will, we give them to you. And we want to raise them to love the ministry. We want to raise them to go to Bible college. Maybe they'll never be involved in ministry vocationally, but we want our kids to go to Bible college. We, we just want them to grow up and learn more about God's word. And, 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 and if you want to call them, wow, what a great place for them to be called of God. I wonder if parents have thought about that. So this is the profile of an empowered servant. Romans 1.1, 1, 1, he's submitted to the Savior, selected to the ministry, and separated to the gospel. Heavenly Father, we sit, we stand, and we sit in a room full of potential. Lord, whether we're in full-time ministry or not, We certainly need to be submitted to the Savior and separated to the gospel. Father, we pray that these thoughts and challenges might pick away at us to the point that we're willing to come humbly into your presence and ask you, Lord, does this truly describe me? Lord, am I submitted to you? Am I separated to the gospel? And Lord, are you calling me? Are you calling my children? Father, what am I doing to be predisposed to your call or to predispose my children to your call? Father, I pray that you would work in our midst Because the potential here is great. And certainly, Lord, in a group this size with such diversity of age, certainly there must be some. Some that you would call specifically to vocational ministry, to missions, to pastoral ministry. What a blessing it would be to Madawaska Gospel Church to send out their own missionary. What a blessing that would be, Lord. Might you work in the midst of this dear group of believers to accomplish your purposes, not only here, certainly here, but somewhere else in the world, as you have done through their supportive missions. We'll give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.